If you do have a Bible with you this evening, I can invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4. It's uh, page 1196 in the Bibles that are in the pews. Now, last Sunday night, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we picked out six images that communicate something about every minister of the gospel. And although Paul initially shared these with Timothy, his young protege, we recognized how relevant they remain and how they still have something to say to each one of us. Now, let's get you involved again. Who can remember one of the six images? Okay, let's see if we can get all six. But who can remember one of the six images from last week? Now, I know lots of people weren't here, but some were. Soldier, okay, that's one. Five more. Farmer. Athlete. Workman, two more. Yep, clean vessel, thanks Jim. One was an object. And then the last one. A servant. Brilliant. And Paul urged Timothy to be these, to actually possess certain characteristics of these. And I hope that as you have lived with these images during the week, that they have kind of continued to speak into your, into your life. But as we keep reading Second Timothy, it becomes really clear that after something like 30 years of Christian ministry, Paul's approaching the end of his life. He realizes that he's not going to be around for much longer. In his own words, he says, the time for my departure is near. And with that reality staring him in the face, he wants to offer Timothy some final words of advice as well as wisdom. And so what he's about to say in these closing paragraphs really matters. Because last words are often vitally important to consider and to process and to take seriously, especially if they are said by someone that you respect, someone that you look up to, someone who has been highly influential in your life as Paul was in Timothy's. But before we we do look at just what Paul said to Timothy, I want to begin by looking at how Paul summed up his own life. And in these last two chapters, we come across a couple of quite powerful and challenging final sentences. And let me start with the one that is probably his best known. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And clearly, as, as Paul writes that, he's referring Timothy back to a couple of those images from chapter 2. The soldier the athlete. But what an incredible thing to be able to say as you come to the end of your life. I've I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. You know, one of my favorite phrases or quotes, and I know I have used it a number of times here at Windsor, is this. It's not only how you start that matters, it's how you finish that really counts. And Paul started well, but maybe more importantly, he finished well. Very early on, he realized he was in a battle. Very early on, he realized, you know, this this Christian journey, it's not a sprint. And so he endured like a good soldier. He kept running like a great athlete. And so, in a sense, when you think about the soldier, that is why we need, as we looked a couple of weeks ago, that's why we need the armor of God if we're going to fight this fight. 
That's why we need to embrace a critical comment that comes from Hebrews chapter 12, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, including people like Paul, Timothy. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And in this bit, let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You see, Paul fought. Paul ran. Paul stayed focused. And I suppose the challenge for us is to do that. It's to keep fighting. It's to keep running. It's to keep the faith right to the end. It's not only how you start that matters. It's also how you finish that really counts. But look at 2 Timothy 3 verses 10 and 11. Because here is another sentence which Paul uses to summarize his life. It's a sentence that kind of brings out some key features of the Apostle's journey. And as he writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, you know this about me. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. And you see, Timothy did. He knew exactly what Paul had shared and written. His teaching. Timothy personally witnessed Paul's lifestyle choices, his conduct, his behaviour, his way of life. He knew what motivated the apostle. He knew what his focus was, what his purpose was. He knew about his passionate faith. He knew about his patience, as do we from the rest of the New Testament. But you see, as I read a verse like that, And as I read a summary of someone's life like that, it strikes me that it would be a sort of fascinating exercise to consider and reflect on my own life using these categories. What do people know about my teaching? What do people know about my way of life? What do people know about my purpose? And if I was really brave... What about asking someone close to me, someone who knows me, to comment on what do they know as they have observed my faith and my patience and my love and my endurance and my persecutions and my sufferings. Be a great verse to use as a kind of filter through which to pass your life. Paul was able to say to Timothy, You know all about these aspects of my life. These are the things that have characterized me. But as Paul's life draws to a close, he doesn't just offer this challenging synopsis of his own life. He also wants to leave Timothy, as I've said, with some parting advice. And in verses, uh, the rest of the the, the verses that were before us there, he refers to three priorities. Three things, three important components of Christian life and faith. Three realities that Timothy needs to appreciate. He needs to really value if he's going to finish well. And they are the three that Elena so helpfully made reference to already this evening. Or you will have come across if you are reading the chapter in the E100 book connected to the text for this evening. But the first is persecution. 
And it is this whole idea of, of suffering for being a Christian. And if you have a look there at verse 11, Paul refers to his sufferings in sort of three particular cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And if you read Acts 13 and 14, you discover exactly what he was referring to. And how he was pelted by stones and rocks. And how he was dragged out of the city. And how he was left in the gutter for dead. And, and Timothy knew all about Paul's beatings. And all about the harassment he had received. And all about his various visits to prison. But then you come across this verse. Because although Paul is or was quite a unique individual. His experience of hassle for being a Christian should not be considered out of the ordinary. And so he writes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. It's to be expected. It's a given. And so Paul, in a sense, is writing to his young friend saying, listen, you need to be prepared for this, Timothy. And this reference to suffering and being persecuted for a Christian is stressed time and time again in the New Testament. Even Jesus, whenever he was talking to his disciples, said this, if they, and they he being the world or those who don't belong to me, if they have persecuted me, Jesus then says, they will persecute you. They will persecute you. Or as Peter's comment in his first epistle reminds us, don't be surprised whenever you're going through a rough time for being a Christian. And there's a very real sense that if if you're going to keep fighting, if you're going to keep running, if you are going to keep the faith, then be prepared that suffering and persecution are never going to be too far away. Expect it. Don't be thrown off course when it comes. And as Elena said, we live in a world where persecution for being a Christian can can mean physical suffering. It can mean a beating. It can mean being put in prison. It can mean having the threat of death hanging over you, depending on where you live. But that's not our story. What is our story? Well, persecution for being a Christian for us is more likely to take the form of isolation or rejection or ridicule. It probably means that in certain groups of people you're going to be misunderstood, you're going to be misrepresented, or you're going to be accused of being intolerant and narrow-minded and bigoted and all those things. And none of that is easy to handle. But we've got to be prepared for it. And I suppose whenever I look at this and think about this, I, I kind of like turn it back on myself and I think, now, who, when I write a summary of my life, could I include reference to my persecutions and my sufferings for being a Christian. What have what those actually looked like in my life on a sort of day-to-day, week-by-week basis? And yet Paul seems to be saying to Timothy, see if you want to finish well, if that is your desire, then you need to expect this. But let me just remind you of the eighth beatitude we looked at a number of weeks ago. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For righteousness, for Jesus, for doing the right thing, blessed are those who are persecuted for Jesus. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We may not always feel blessed, or we may not always see it as a blessing whenever we're given a hard time, but according to Jesus, that's the reality. And I read this week how someone described persecution as a disguised blessing. 
And and I kind of love that perspective. Persecution is a disguised blessing. So the first thing that Paul draws attention to in this little section of his letter is the inevitability of suffering. And the next is the importance of Scripture. Which brings us to a verse that has been our fellowship group verse for 2011. And I'm sure many of you have got a copy of this bookmark that Richard so kindly made for us at the beginning of the year as we started this series. And here is another one of those 316 verses. One of those key 316 verses that you find in in the New Testament. I mean, John 316 is probably the best known, but here's another that's not far behind it. 2 Timothy 316. But you see, before we look at it, there's a really interesting insight in verses 14 and 15 there of Timothy's background and upbringing, specifically regarding his exposure to Scripture, where it says this, Continue, Timothy, in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know from those whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, who were the those that Paul refers to here. Who was it that taught Timothy? Who was it that spoke into his life? Who was it that shared scripture with him as he grew up? Doesn't actually name them here. But who are they? His mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, who back in chapter 1, Paul called women of sincere faith. And so along with his gran and his mum, there was Paul. They were the those who had influenced Timothy. They were the people who had introduced him to scripture. They were the ones who taught him the stories, who encouraged him to engage with it, to know it, to learn it, to love it. And if nothing else, it does remind us who value God's word about the importance of sharing it with others about sharing it with the next generation, about passing on the stories, specifically to our kids and to our grandkids, if that is our situation. And Timothy had learned a lot growing up. And so Paul says, you see all that that you learned as you grew up? Stick with it, Timothy. Stick with it. Remain faithful to it. But notice that Paul here does give a purpose behind that verse 15 Timothy you've known the Holy Scriptures why? which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and so as some would say this is the Bible's supreme function we don't just engage with scripture to gain head knowledge to simply know a whole bunch of stories, to enjoy the adventures, although that comes with it, as we have discovered this year. But the purpose of supreme function is to elicit a wise trust in God that leads to forgiveness and personal transformation, which is possible. Why? Because of Jesus. In other words, these writings, God's word, scripture, the Bible, have the potential to alter your heart. To renew and change you internally. And how desperately we and those around us need to be made wise for salvation. But what is salvation? What is salvation? Well, in its broadest sense, it's to live a life in relationship with the one who created us. And it's to experience life as God intended it to be. And that is possible through, yes, as Timothy says, through faith 
in, or as Paul says, through faith in Jesus Christ. And we discover what that means and how we actually embrace it via God's word. Which, as I say, some have called the handbook of salvation. But then Paul goes on to share that verse, that 316. The one that really does communicate just how formative this book is for Christian life. All scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And right up front what you discover is its divine origin, that the ultimate source is God. And therefore when you read it, and, and I really love this kind of approach or this perspective of this way of seeing God's word. You don't just read words on a page. You don't just read text on paper. You inhale God-breathed words of life. You inhale them. And so just breathe them in. Regularly. Daily. Why? Well, the verse says, because they're useful. Or your translation, profitable. That's its purpose. The reason it's useful, the reason it's profitable, is because it's God-breathed. And Paul then goes on to explain how it's useful. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, it's about creed and conduct. It's about head, heart, hands. It instructs, yes, but it directs. Matthew Henry puts it like this. It instructs us in that which is true, reproves us for that which is amiss, and directs us in that which is good. Or, in the words on our bookmark, grabbed from Warren Wearsby, here's how he captures it. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, knowing what is right. Rebuking, knowing what is not right. Correcting, knowing how to get it right. And training, knowing how to stay right. And that, that is really good. Because what it says is, Scripture's life-forming. It's life-formational. If you engage with it, this will reconstruct, reconfigure your life. And then as verse 17 says, it will then thoroughly equip you for every good work. And so as Paul reaches the end of his life, he clearly wants Timothy to stay connected to Scripture. To the one thing that's going to keep on shaping him and feeding his soul. Timothy, if you're going to finish well, Scripture's going to need to be your constant companion. And for us... Nothing has changed. God's word still remains essential. It influences our choices. Determines our actions. Renews our thinking. Or at least it has the potential to. It has the ability to do that if we let it loose in our lives and loose in our church. And so it's my hope and prayer that God's word will remain central here in this place but also in my life. May we be people of this book who read, reflect, and respond to its God-breathed content on a regular basis. So, need to finish. Paul, in his, his closing remarks to Timothy, talks about the inevitability of suffering, yes. The importance of Scripture, yes. But at the beginning of chapter 4, and I'm going to slightly change this, uh, I know I'm not usually one to do things all beginning with the same letter, uh, but I'm going to do that tonight. 
uh, but he shares instructions for service. And as Elaine says, and as the text says, for Timothy, what did that involve? It involved preaching the word. That was Timothy's primary mode of service. His responsibility was, no, not just to hear it, not just to believe it, not just to obey it, not just to suffer for it, but Timothy, share it with others. Communicate it to others. And the question I want to ask you this evening is, what is your primary mode of service? What, what have you been instructed to do? For Timothy, it was a very specific thing. And there may be some people here this evening who would share a sense of a very specific calling to a particular mode of service. But let me just step back for a moment because it's important to bear in mind from elsewhere in Scripture that every single one of us who belong to Jesus have been commanded, called, and equipped to share. And so we're to love God with our entire beings. We've to love our neighbours as ourselves. We've to go and make disciples of all people groups. We've to go and teach them the commands that Jesus has given to us. And we are to use, as the New Testament makes so clear, our God-given gifts. And every single Christian here this evening has been gifted but we have been called to use your God-given gift to go and help and bless others. And so all of us are instructed to serve. But if you look at verse 5 of chapter 4, there's this amazing batch of sentences that Paul shares with his young friend. And I'm convinced that they're worth grabbing by all of us. And here they are. You, Timothy. You, Keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. And fully carry out the ministry, the mode of service God has given you. And I know there's probably an entire sermon in those four sentences, but at another level, they actually just speak for themselves. And sometimes I know I can and others can't be guilty of just getting in the way of God's word. But if there's ever a verse to kind of just take away and meditate on and reflect on, there it is. Keep a clear mind in every situation you're in this week. How much we need that. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. If you're given a chance this week to say something, Or if you're in a conversation and you speak out, don't be afraid of suffering. Work at telling others the good news. And fully carry out the mode of service that God has given you. There is gritty advice for Christian life and practice. Back to this phrase. It's not only how you start that matters. It's how you finish that really counts. And Paul finished well. And it was his desire for Timothy. And therefore, before he died, here's the three things he talked about. Here's the three things he drew attention to. Suffering, scripture, service. Timothy, if you're going to keep fighting, keep running, keep the faith, be prepared for persecution. Be immersed in scripture. Be willing to serve. And I would suggest that nothing has changed for us. Let's pray together.
Father, we do give you thanks for your word, which is all those things that we together said it was at the start. It's a lamp. It's bread. It's a mirror. It's a scalpel. It's rock. It's a hammer. It's fire. It's a sword. And God, I pray that it would continue to do what you intended to do in each one of our lives. That it would shape us this week. It would reconstruct us, reconfigure us. And may it continue to speak into our lives as we engage with it individually in the course of the next few days. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.